The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Hoare, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, September 20th, 2020, on the basis of Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Just 44 days remain until the upcoming election. And not just any election, of course. This is the most important election of our lifetimes. So we've been told over and over again. And yet I wonder if that is nothing more than an indication of just how important politics are becoming to so many people. With each passing year, it seems more and more people pin all of their hopes for our nation's future on the results of these kinds of elections. With each passing year, more and more people are convinced that if if the wrong side wins, it's not just going to be disappointing, it's going to be absolutely devastating. And so yes, this is the most important election of our lifetimes, we've been told. But come to think of it, I think we were told that same thing about the last election, and I'm guessing we'll be told the very same thing about the next election as well. So what do you think is going to happen? And what are you going to do? More importantly, what should you do? I'm guessing you might be tempted to think that this is the last place where you'd expect to be getting answers to those questions. In fact, if I had told you ahead of time that today's sermon was going to be all about politics, maybe you would have objected. Maybe you would have stayed home this morning. In the minds of many, the church should never talk politics. Church is supposed to be about bigger things and more important things, spiritual things and eternal things. And in general, I would agree with that. The church should never talk politics except when it should. In other words, except when, when Jesus talks politics. Because after all, that kind of determines what we talk about on Sunday mornings, right? We just talk about whatever Jesus talks about, and today Jesus talks about politics. And yet, as he does, even though we hear about politics no matter where we go and no matter where we turn, Jesus still manages to do something that is truly remarkable. He manages to pull off an incredible feat. Even though politics are everywhere, Jesus is still able to talk about politics in a way that sounds different. It isn't Democrat or Republican. It isn't conservative or liberal. It isn't what you are going to hear if you turn on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. Even though so much is being said by so many people, Jesus is still able to help us tune out all of that noise and get on the frequency he wants us to be on. So if, as you brace yourself for a sermon about politics, you're expecting to hear just more of the same of what you hear everywhere else, if you're expecting a message from Jesus that affirms what half of the country believes while dismissing the other half, if you're expecting to hear a message that 50% of voters can really get behind while the other 50% can't, you're going to be disappointed. Instead, as we look at these verses from Matthew chapter 22 this morning, we're going to see that when it comes to politics, Jesus refuses to pick a side. This conversation 
about politics wasn't actually initiated by Jesus himself. You heard how it was the Pharisees, Jesus' religious opponents, who were trying to trap Jesus in his words. They were playing a little game of gotcha journalism, you might say. And so they sent some of their disciples, some of their surrogates, to Jesus to ask him this question. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? More taxes or less taxes, Jesus? What do you think? That could just as easily be sort of a political trap in our day, even more so in Jesus' day. You see, the particular tax in question was especially offensive and disdainful to the Jewish people. It was a flat tax that was levied against every adult living in Judea, regardless of income, rich or poor, and it was sent directly to Rome. It's not like it was invested back into the community. And not only that, but the currency that was used to pay this tax, a Roman denarius, had on it the image of Caesar, along with an inscription that let everyone know what the Romans thought of their Caesars, that they were sons of the gods. Every aspect of this tax was offensive to good, God-fearing Jewish people. And so the Pharisees thought that they had the perfect trap. They were forcing Jesus to pick a side. Jesus, should we pay this tax or should we not? If Jesus said yes, his approval rating with the Jewish people would have instantly plummeted. But if he said no, these Pharisees would have run directly to the local Roman authorities and told them that Jesus was encouraging people to rebel. They thought this was the perfect trap. They were forcing Jesus to pick a side, and whichever side he picked, the results were going to be disastrous. Exactly what they wanted. And yet in his response, Jesus refused to pick a side. Instead, he asked for one of those Roman coins, one of those denarii, and these religious leaders just so happened to have one on hand. Kind of interesting how this currency that they were so opposed to and offended by, they were perfectly happy to fill their pockets with. Jesus was right in calling them hypocrites. But he asked for one of those coins, and then he asks them, whose image is on that coin and whose inscription? The answer was easy, Caesar's. And so then Jesus said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. You see, the Jewish people viewed this as an either-or choice. Either they could pay the tax and so dishonor and disobey God, or they could refuse to pay the tax and in the process disobey the government. And yet Jesus rejected this either-or choice. Jesus' words made it clear that in the lives of his followers, there was room for both. There was room to give the government what rightfully belonged to it, and there was room to give God what rightfully belonged to him. You see, contrary to the impression that we're often given, human government is not just some man-made idea or invention that we are perfectly free to set up or dismantle according to our own whims and pleasures. No, the Bible clearly teaches that government has been established by God, and it has been established to be his representative, to be his arm, in maintaining peace and order in society, in protecting us 
from danger in providing the outward worldly circumstances that allow for human thriving and flourishing. And as a result, God wants us to give to government what we rightfully owe it. He wants us to give to government our honor and respect. He wants us to view it as the indispensable blessing in our lives that it is. He wants us to give government our obedience. He wants us to follow the government's rules so long as they do not force us to disobey God's rules. And he wants us to give the government our support. He wants us to pay our taxes so that the government can do what God has established it to do. Oh, but it's so easy not to, isn't it? Especially in a democratic society where we are free to voice our opinion. It is so easy not to give the government what we rightfully owe it. And it's easy for both sides not to, and it's easy for both sides to be just as hypocritical as those Jewish leaders were, as they don't give the government what is rightfully owed to it. So for example, on the one side, you might have those people who think that basically everything that the government does is bad, and the less the government would do, the better. So stay out of my life. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live. I can do just fine, thank you. The less government and the less taxes, the better. And yet each and every morning they wake up and they go about their own lives doing their own things, perfectly happy to drive on those roads that the government has paid and to use that water and that energy and those utilities that the government produces and to learn at those schools and universities and libraries that the government has set up and then at night to sleep under the nice warm blanket of the safety that the government has provided while agents of the government like law enforcement officers and troops stand watch. And then on the other side, you maybe have those people who are always looking for the government to do more, who want the government to get involved, to intervene, and maybe even to take over just about every area of our life from our education to our health care to our welfare programs. The more government, the better. We expect the government to solve every single problem in our lives, to right every single wrong, to take every single inequality and erase it. And so they spend their time criticizing our law enforcement systems as if they are evil and rotten to the very core. Meanwhile, if anything would ever happen to them, if they would ever be in danger, the very first thing they would do, of course, is pick up the phone and dial 911. Or on the other hand, they complain about our free market economy that allows for certain people and certain companies to get so unbelievably wealthy, to have so much more money than the rest of us, and they spend their time complaining about that using the very devices and the very platforms that those companies have provided for all of us. And as they complain about all those people that have so much more money than we do, they of course never volunteer a cent, at least not a cent of their own money, to help out all of those millions of people who have so much less. I gotta tell you, as I wrote those last two paragraphs, I was a little bit worried that I might offend someone with something I said. But then the more I thought about it, the more I hoped that I would actually offend everyone 
with at least something that I said, including me. Why? Because when it comes to politics, Jesus refuses to pick a side. He is not going to let one side sit there comfortably as they dishonor the government while scolding the other. No, he expects both sides, left and right, red and blue, to honor the government that he has established. He will not let anyone get away with giving the government less than it is due. Nor will he let anyone get away with giving the government more than it is due. Well, but that's not nearly as likely, right? I mean, we wouldn't ever do that. Do you know anyone that has too high of an opinion of our elected officials? Do you know of anyone that doesn't just follow the rules that the government actually makes, but then follows some additional ones too? You know, I, d I don't just stop at the intersections where there's a stop sign, I stop at other ones too. And I don't just stay under the speed limit, I actually drive 10 miles slower just to be safe. I don't just send in my taxes every year, but I throw in a couple hundred extra dollars just to be nice. You can actually do that, by the way, if you want to. It might be easy for us to see how we could be tempted to give the government less than what it is owed, but would we really ever give the government more than what is rightfully theirs? Well, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. Our government is responsible for our safety and protection, and so we owe them honor and respect and obedience and support. But God, of course, is responsible for much more, which means that we owe God much more than we owe our government. We don't just owe God our honor and our outward obedience. We owe God our worship. We owe God a place in our lives that no one and nothing else can possibly occupy. We owe him that position of being our God, of being the one person on whom we are ultimately dependent for every single good thing. And so do you think that maybe, just maybe, in a world where politics are everywhere, and everything, it might be possible for us to actually give to government and give to politics something that truly belongs to God. For example, you think that maybe it's possible for us to give our sense of peace and security to the government. Government is responsible for outward peace and security. I'm talking about our inner sense of peace and security as if foreign affairs aren't handled the right way, or the pandemic isn't managed just how I would want it to be managed, or the economy isn't managed how I would want it to be managed, that suddenly we give in to all of the fear-mongering that is so prevalent in our world today. Look at what the government is doing. Now we're all going to die. Do you think it's possible for us to give our hope to the government? That if an election doesn't go a certain way, that if a congressional vote doesn't go a certain way, that if a Supreme Court justice appointment doesn't go a certain way, then our lives and the lives of our children and the lives of our grandchildren are just going to be ruined. Do you think it's possible for us to give our joy to the government? That if things aren't going my way, if not enough people are agreeing with me, if someone would dare disagree with me, certainly out in public, 
then suddenly I fill the air with more of the anger and the rage that is already so thoroughly polluting it. Do you think it's possible, maybe most importantly and maybe most dangerously, for us to give our status, our reputation, and our righteousness to the government? That the stances we take and, and the signs that we put up in our yards and the positions that we post about are not so much about doing real good for real people. Instead, they're about looking good in front of people. That those are our ways of making sure that everyone knows that we're one of the good guys. You know, not one of those bigots. Not one of those racists. Not one of those greedy capitalists. Not one of those socialists. Not one of those fascists. Not one of those Nazis. Not one of those snowflakes. That suddenly our status, our reputation, our righteousness depend on whatever particular stance we might happen to take on whatever particular issue. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, we would take some of those things that rightfully belong to God, that belong in the realm of our faith and our religion, and we put them over instead into the realm of our politics, we hand them over to the government? And again, Jesus is happy to be an equal opportunity offender in this regard. He refuses to pick one side or the other. He expects both sides to worship God, to give him the worship that he is due. He expects both sides to give to God what is rightfully his. He certainly earned it. In fact, that's probably the biggest thing that makes God, by his very nature and in the way that he works, just so drastically different from how the government, by its very nature, must work. Not only is our worship rightfully owed to God because of who he is and who we are, God in his grace and God in his mercy was willing to win that worship from us. Even though he owed us absolutely nothing, even though everything that we are and everything that we have already belongs to him, and even though because of our, our behavior, the only thing that we deserve from him is punishment and condemnation. He was willing to fight for and to win our worship by giving to us what rightfully belonged to him, by sending his own son to be the savior, not of one particular party or platform, but of all people, to send his son to defeat every enemy of every side. And Jesus came to do that very thing. Jesus came to honor the government perfectly the way that none of us do. Jesus came to worship God perfectly the way that none of us can. Jesus came to take on himself the verdict and the sentence that all of us deserve. And because he did, he was raised from the dead and he was seated on a throne. He was elected, not by the electoral college, not by the popular vote. He was elected by his Father in heaven to be the king, to rule over all things for the good of his people. Jesus is Lord and King and savior of all, not of Republicans, not of Democrats, not of the blue coastal elites or the red flyover states. He is Lord and King and savior of all. And because that is the case, we get to hear some good news about politics that I'm guessing 
I, in fact, I guarantee you will not hear anywhere else. That no matter how this next election turns out, it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. That our peace and our security, our hope and our joy, our status, our righteousness, and our eternity will not be affected by how this or any other election turns out. All of those things are safe and secure in the hands of Jesus. And so, yes, we are 44 days away from an election, the least important election of our lives, just like everyone that came before it and just like everyone still to come. Amen. Amen.